The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany is from Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shine. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the word of the Lord. The epistles from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. We rise to sing the Alleluia in hers. And followed him. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for today's message is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 to 18, as read a few moments ago as we continue our series on the readings from 1 Corinthians. Last week I mentioned that the church in Corinth was plagued by various problems, and in today's reading, we hear the first problem straight out of the gate. And that is the members of the church in Corinth have divided themselves up based on who they like better. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and Christ. Four factions within one congregation. And the divisions are deep enough that there is actual quarreling. Chloe's people have reported this to Paul and Sosthenes, and this sort of divisiveness continues to be a problem for churches in our modern day as well. A colleague of mine likes to say that Lutheran pastors really ought to be like plug-and-play computer peripherals. Take any LCC pastor and plug him into any LCC congregation, and everything should just work. Yet, of course, that's not the reality, is it? Different people do and will like different pastors for different reasons, and every pastor has his own strengths and weaknesses. I still have a special fondness for the pastor who confirmed me 33 years ago because of the connection we made then. I understand how this goes. Some pastors are better at preaching, some at teaching, some at visiting. Some have special gifts for reaching out to the unchurched. Some have special gifts for working with seniors. Some have special gifts for working with young people. And certainly after my nearly 20 years here, you've come to know plenty about my own strengths and weaknesses. I'm certainly keenly aware of my weaknesses. But should the relative merits of any given pastor be the cause of division within the church? Paul is strongly arguing that this should not be the case in this passage. And the other side of the problem that Paul is addressing is something else which has always been a problem, but has really become a much bigger problem in the past 50 years or so than ever before, and that is the problem of the celebrity pastor. Paul, Apollos, Peter, Christ, these were all very important people to the early church in Corinth, and it's much the same way as Luther, Melanchthon, Andrea, and Chemnitz were important leaders in the days of the Reformation for the Lutherans. And none of the four people listed, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Christ, were currently serving as the pastor in Corinth. 
In the last 50 to 60 years, there's been a big rise in radio and television and internet ministries in which people who have sufficient financial backing to get fancy and flashy shows together could become super pastors of a sort. They could beam their preaching and teaching into homes across the continent and around the world and in return make quite a bit of money from doing so. In parallel with this is the rise of the megachurch. This idea that your church is really only doing well if it grows big and fast and ends up with thousands of people attached to it. More often than not, megachurches become what's called a cult of personality, where people are attached to the lead pastor, the main speaker of the church, even more than they are to what the church believes and teaches. And so we have lots of examples of big evangelical churches that under the leadership of their founding pastor grow and flourish. But when that pastor is no longer there, whether by death or retirement or scandal erupting, and that has happened far too often in megachurches, the church dwindles or even closes down without them. Any time that church becomes a question of who you like best as pastor rather than what the church believes and teaches, that's a problem. Because at the end of the day, Paul argues, the people of the church shouldn't be picking teams based on who likes which pastor better, nor should it even matter who it was who did the baptizing. You can see how Paul struggles to remember who it was in Corinth he himself baptized. For as a traveling evangelist, Paul didn't really see his job to be doing the baptizing. He left that to the local pastor once he'd established a church in the community. Rather, the important part for the church is this. Is the cross of Christ being preached for the salvation of the hearers? What is actually being believed and taught? For on that point, Paul, Apollos, Peter and Christ all agreed. And this brings up the question of divisions, part two, which Paul will tackle more strongly later on in 1 Corinthians, in chapters 10 and 11, about the unity of the church. Beyond the congregational level, what sort of divisions exist in Christendom and why? Jesus prayed that his church on earth would be one, but that level of unity has sadly not been seen since shortly after Pentecost Sunday as Corinth demonstrates for us. For the reality is that pastors and congregation members alike are sinful human beings needing to repent and be forgiven, being saved by grace through faith. And so it is that with our eyes still partly clouded by sin, you can have different people read the exact same words out of the scriptures and come up with wildly different inferences as to what they mean or why it is important. So it is that we have so many different Christian denominations and takes on things like, what does baptism mean? What does the Lord's Supper mean? What are the end times going to be like? And so on and so forth. And these differences largely flow out of losing per focus on the purpose and point of what the cross of Christ does and means. Having the best key for understanding the scripture is important. This is why for Paul, and also for us, because this is what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, the big question is always, is the gospel of Christ, the good news of what Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection mean, 
for us and for our salvation? Is that coming through in all we teach and believe? And the other point that Paul makes here, because the world really hasn't changed all that much in the last 2,000 years, is that if we are doing that, we're not necessarily going to be all that appealing to the unbelieving world around us. In Canada, we had a long period of time where Christianity was basically assumed to be the default worldview of people. Sure, there were non-Christians, but they were relatively few and far between. More common were Christians of various types, depending largely on which religious persuasions they brought with them from their countries of origin before coming to Canada. In that time of place, churches were easy to build, easy to grow. It was a cultural expectation, a deeply held belief tradition. The world in the last 50 years or so is not like that. Church attendance in Canada peaked from the 1970s to the late 80s and has been tailing off in most groups ever since. The way people think about God and religion is closer to the world of the early church, to be honest. Christians are once again a small minority in a larger setting. Lots of rival philosophies and religions, many of which claim not to be religions, have arisen to try to capture the hearts and minds of people. And this has been largely successful. So we are in a time where the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. These are indeed hard times to be faithful Christians, especially with the more traditional or conservative view of what the church is, what God's word is. It's hard because the world around us is constantly on the attack against faithful Christian teaching to make us look at best outdated and at worst look like whatever sort of insults they want to throw our way. But one thing we have, even in the most difficult and challenging of times, is the cross of Christ. We have the good news from God's word that Jesus Christ, true God begotten of the Father before all worlds, and also a true man, born of the Virgin Mary, just over 2,000 years ago, came to save us from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, not with political devices or acts of physical war, but by patiently teaching God's word, healing the sick and the demon-possessed, preaching in synagogues, living the perfect life we fail to live, dying an unjust death on the cross willingly, on behalf of all of us, and rising from the dead on the third day. We have a Christ for whom the cross is at the center of all that he did for us. It makes no sense to a world which is more interested in social transformation and political ideologies that the church should care so much about the death of a Jewish teacher 2,000 years ago. Yet we know that in Jesus' death there is power for salvation for us and for all who believe. For he was no mere teacher, he is the Son of God. He is no mere man, he is God in the flesh, come to rescue his people who believe in him. All the badgering and poking at our Christian faith by those who do not and will not believe cannot change the historic truth that Jesus Christ came to this earth, was crucified, died, and rose again for us and for our salvation. And as the Holy Spirit works through that good news on the hearts of people, 
many believe and are saved. It's as simple as that. And in baptism, according to Romans 6, we are put to death and buried along with Christ and raised to new life with Him. In the Lord's Supper, according to 1 Corinthians 11, we eat and drink of Christ's body and drink, eat, eat and drink of Christ's body and blood, and so proclaim the fruits and blessings of the crucifixion. Little wonder that Luther once proclaimed that the cross alone is our theology. Preaching, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the liturgy, it all points us back and connects us to Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection for us and for our salvation. So cling to Christ and his death on the cross for you, dear friends. Make that the heart of who you are, the heart of what being a part of a church is all about. For from the cross of Christ come all the blessings of God, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.